Well, greetings today to Foundational Faith Ministry. We want to welcome all of our Destiny Bible College uh, students, also all of our Foundational Faith family. We're going to be uh, doing uh, Class 4, Part 2 of the Book of Daniel. Now, this chapter will deal with mainly the 8th chapter of the Book of Daniel in your Bible, but also lining up with our uh, textbook, it will also deal with the eighth chapter of our text. Now, where we're going today is a good example of what we have spoken of previously in the last lesson and building up to that in chapters one through six, where we have acknowledged that there is a uh, two-part division of the book of Daniel, as we just reemphasize this for a moment. And with that being said, What's important is, again, to remember that the first six chapters are definitely historical, and then the latter are prophetic. Now, with that being said, that does not mean that some things cross over, and this is an example with this chapter. Now, when Daniel began to uh, have the vision, and of course, chapter 8, verse 1 tells us, uh, in the third year of the reign of Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, uh, to me, Daniel, after the one that appeared to me the first time. Now, we need to remember in the setting of time, Belshazzar now, which is the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, is reigning uh, in Babylon. And of course, we are speaking in reference of going back with this chapter and, and not a total chronological order where this is prior to the writing on the wall that we studied, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, in the fifth chapter of the book of Daniel and our textbook. Now, with that being said, we see that the first uh, uh, encounter that Daniel had was in the first year of Belshazzar's reign that we uh, spoke of and studied in our seventh chapter. But in the eighth chapter, it tells us that it was in the third year of the reign of Belshazzar that he has another vision. Uh, with that being said, we know that it was prophetic in the aspect of definitely that it was not uh, not in reference to uh, what took place in Daniel's life. And yes, it does set uh, the um, understanding of what will take place in the tribulation. So <clears throat> with that being said, it would have been prophetic. Now we see uh, where what has been fulfilled with this particular vision that Daniel had. Now, with that being said, this has been one of the areas in the book of Daniel that some have wanted to question um, the authenticity of Daniel being who he was as far as a true prophet. But what takes place um, that I want to speak of is very beneficial because we understand that Daniel was a true prophet. There's those that have tried to put Daniel's writing in um a future uh, of, of the time that it was. So with that being said, one of the things that definitely benefit us is in the uh, 1940s, somewhere around 1948-ish, uh, I think it was, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found. And this gives credence 
uh, to that of the ancient or the older um, original writings that would have been of the book of Daniel. So this assists us with an understanding that the um, vision that Daniel sees would have been prophetic, even though now with the understanding of these things that are taking place uh, in this vision and what happens uh, later, we understand that this is speaking of what would have been um, the... Um, uh, second, uh, no, the third kingdom coming, a uh, world kingdom, which would have been that of Alexander the Great. Now, there's some more things that we'll discuss in reference to that as we go along. Now, this particular chapter is also known as uh, that of the vision of the ram and the goat. The ram and the goat. All right. Um, another thing that's interesting is how that we, through the book of Daniel uh, and through even the scriptures, we see God working in the behalf or working in that of the Gentile nations. And, of course, we can understand how that even through Daniel's writings and even what we're going to be discussing in the 8th chapter, that um, it begins to give us some understanding, not that Israel has not been affected by the Gentile nations, and even we know that, that God used a ungodly uh, king like Nebuchadnezzar to take the house of Israel into captivity or Judah into the captivity for 70 years. Uh, God used that uh, not only to bring uh, judgment upon Jer uh, 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 Judah, but also to bring correction. Because the wonderful thing about it that we need to remember and should know is that even in the fact that they were taken for 70 years, how that God used that and had a promise of their restoration. And of course, we can see uh, how some things take place that are historical now, even going into that of before, uh, uh, that of even Christ coming um, and then, of course, we know the Roman government was beginning to come in. But this has given us an understanding of the Greek um, and Alexander the Great coming. And we'll see some parallels of how this is where um, Israel is going to be affected uh, in their future and definitely in the tribulation period. Um, again, let's just make this statement. Most of this vision usually called the vision of the ram and the goat has, has already been fulfilled, which makes it past history to us. But there again, we understand in the application of some things that are going to happen. But Daniel makes it clear that it also is an end of the age application. Um, and some of this, uh, we understand part of it is sealed up so that we may not be able to understand all the details. However, um, we will learn what we can. Okay, so again, uh, this is uh, known as the ram and the goat. The ram and the goat. Now, in the vision, in chapter 8, verse 2, gives us an understanding of a few things that was taking place during this vision. Daniel says, I saw in the vision, and it so happened while I was looking, that I was in Shushan, the citadel, which is in the providence of Elam. And I saw in the vision 
that I was by the river of Uli. Uh, so uh, there again, when you look at verse 3, Then I lifted up my eyes and saw, and there standing beside the river was a ram which had two horns. And the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. Now remember, we're in the empire of that of the Medes, Medo-Persian, and of course we need to remember that once this uh, kingdom of um, um, kingdom is established, um, the defeat of Babylon has taken place um, by that of the Medes and Persians. Now we're within. Uh, the first uh, two or three years of Belshazzar's reign. And um, Daniel, in this vision, he sees these two rams, or excuse me, he sees these two, he sees this ram with two horns. And we need to remember that uh, horns represent um, kings. Um, also, it can uh, emphasize rulers, leaders, those kind of uh, situations. Now, <clears throat> this is very important and can be confusing because we know that Revelation talks of two beasts with horns. And in Daniel 8.20, we are told that the two horns represent the king of Media or Media, uh, and Persia. Um, so let's look at verse number 20 of the 8th chapter. The ram which thou sawest having two horns, are the kings of Media and Persia. <laughs> now let me emphasize this. At first, verses 1 through 14 of the 8th chapter give us an understanding of details about the ram and the goat and these horns. In the latter part of this chapter, from verses uh, 15 through 27, we see one of God's holy ones. We see one of the of uh, just a, a couple angels that are definitely named in Scripture, Gabriel, and of course we know that there was uh, uh, later in the book of Daniel even um, mention of that of uh, Michael, the archangel. Um, but there again, we know that Gabriel has, uh, through Scripture, and there's other places that we could speak of, and we definitely know that Gabriel came and made a proclamation to, um, uh, in reference to John the Baptist, we, we know even for Jesus to Mary and to Joseph. Those are a couple other times that we can relate in Scripture where there was uh, this messenger. Now, and, and it's very well possible that it could have been Gabriel that made the message on the shepherd's field to the shepherds of uh, the timing of Jesus' birth. But there again, uh, verses 15 through 27 are dealing with some explanation that Gabriel is giving of the vision. And one of the things we definitely see in verse number 20 that he is acknowledging, or Gabriel is, um, that, the, um, that the ram with these two horns that he saw were the kings of Media and Persia. Now, what's interesting or needy to be said here is there's a reason for 
the understanding that uh, one uh, came uh, in height or size uh, larger or higher than uh, the other one. Now, what we understand is that um, Cyrus would have been the warrior. He would have been the one to have um, initiated and carried out the uh, the battle to defeat Babylon. And of course, if you recall how that he strategically used um, drying up the Euphrates River um, through uh, some time there that he was able to divert the water and then the troops to actually march in to the between the walls of Babylon and were able to defeat um, Babylon. And of course, we know uh, what was going on inside from previous uh, discussion in class time of Belshazzar and the writing on the wall. And this was the night that Babylon fell, but also it was the night that um, the uh, last king of Babylon would stand and he was uh, not only defeated, but he was uh, killed uh, that night. Now, with that being said, uh, we need to understand that Darius would have taken the kingdom first. And Darius would have had the kingdom from approximately maybe two years. And then, of course, um, um, Cyrus would have taken the kingdom and he would have reigned at least another 20 years or something of that nature. And I'm not looking at some of my notes, but, but to kind of give you some kind of indication of thinking of time. Now, with that being said, we can also remember that uh, uh, Cyrus would have been the last king that Daniel would have served under uh, by the time that he was at least 90 years old. And then, of course, Daniel would not have lived to see what he actually has prophesied that now would, would not only be a prophecy, but what came uh, forth in the uh, understanding of this being Alexander the Great. All right, let's look at verse number six of the eighth chapter. I believe that gives us some understanding of a little bit of what's taking place here in reference to what we have stated about this um, this ram with these two horns representing the uh, the dualness of the uh, of the um, Mede Persian government. Um, so, with that being said, let's understand that the the, the first uh, ram's horn, and that would have been shorter, would have been that of representing Darius because of the shortness of his reign of two years. And then, of course, Cyrus, um, at least 20 years. And so we see the uh, understanding of that. Now, with that being said, the male goat with one horn, uh, Greece under Alexander the Great. Uh, charged the ram with two horns, um, the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians with a furious rage. So we recognize that the male goat that has one horn would have been 
the um, the great um, Alexander the Great, and most of you that know anything from history, this would have been somewhere um, around uh, 30, I mean, excuse me, 332 to 334 BC, uh, when there was an attack that was launched against um, Persia and Alexander's uh, conquest. Uh, it was so uh, swift, it was so quick, that some uh, gave the indication that he flew um, across the earth, the swiftness of Alexander the Great. And then, of course, we must remember also that um, later, and, and let me just look at this on page 211 in your textbook, it says under Noah Hutchings, this is a contributor in your textbook with, uh, I guess we could say some commentary, inasmuch as these two nations are so clearly identified by their national emblems, we should also expect the beast, now we're talking about uh, um, the, the beast uh, to relate to nations with similar emblems named, namely England, the United States, Russia, the Afro-African block and the revised Roman Empire. So without rehearsing a lot of that, if you'll remember and go back to chapter 7, you'll see uh, some of the indications there of the possibilities uh, with now um, and those four beasts that um, that uh, was observed by Daniel and how that the last the latter one was so furious and um, and it's not related to an animal in so much as as uh, the others and we gave those indications of how that they could represent these nations that are listed here that Noah Hutchins mentions so with that being said also um, with the second um, uh, beast being the bear we see those nations such as Russia and we also can see how that uh, the leopard with wings things would begin to move quickly and we're 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 in that era of time how things are beginning to move quickly to that of the period of tribulation. Now there's these things that give us indication of what was prophesied by Daniel now has been fulfilled and how it portrays what um, will take place in the future with that of the Antichrist. Now, um, with that said, uh, let's do remember that. Um, the dates again were 332 to 334 BC with Alexander the Great making this, uh, this swift and also just like a, a goat that would have uh, rammed uh, or uh, this, this ram and uh, he would have charged is a better word the ram that had the two horns let's, um, let's look on page 212 of our textbook there's six things there that i want to just give uh, some credence to or, or some reference to is a better word daniel chapter 8 and verse number 7 and i saw him confronting the ram he was moved with rage against him attacked the ram and broke his two horns there was a power in the ram to withstand withstand him but he cast him down to the ground and trampled him and there was no one that could deliver the ram from the hand, from his hand. So 
what we see here in the vision that Daniel has that is future tense at that time that's historical now. Uh, the first point that's listed here in your textbook is the goat butted. And we know a goat will butt. The goat butted the ram furiously. The Greek, the Greeks attacked the Medes and the Persians without mercy. Um, secondly, the ram's horn, horns were broken. The Greeks inflicted terrible loss, losses on the Medes and Persians. Number three, the ram was powerless. The Greeks defeated the Medo-Persian military. Um, number four, the ram was knocked to the ground. The Medo-Persian people were subdued and humbled. Number five, the ram was trampled upon Medo-Persian. The, the Medo-Persian people were crushed. And sixth, the ram could not be rescued. No one could stop the Greeks. Now, let us just emphasize this, that most of us that understand anything about history or have studied anything about Alexander the Great, Alexander the Great was one of the great conquerors of the world. Um, and what we find is that it, he was 33 years old and he suddenly died. But by the time that he was this age, at that moment, uh, with the fact that he had expanded the Greek Empire uh, in such a way of that had never been done before, um, he sat down and he wept because there was no more worlds to conquer. Um, and so he was 33 years of age and he died suddenly. And then we see that actually his death began to weaken. Um, it began to weaken the, um, the Greek uh, empire. And sadly, in some aspect, um, his, um, his uh, reign or, or the Greek empire divided into four parts and uh, was replaced by four prominent horns. So there again, we can see where the word horn or horns gives us an indication of those that are kings or those that are leaders. And so we see that these four main generals uh, or military uh, commanders of Alexander the Great were four different horns, which history identifies as his four top generals. Um, sadly, uh, John F. Uh, Wolverd, and I'll read what's there, um, it, it gives us a little information about uh, Alexander. Alexander, who had conquered more of the world than any previous ruler, was not able to conquer himself. Partly due to a strenuous exertion, his dissipated life and a raging fever Alexander died in a drunken debauch at Babylon, not yet 33 years of age. His death left a great conquest without an effective single leader, and it took about 20 years for the empire to be successfully 
divided so we can see what intent or, or what uh, uh, influence uh, that this has on the kingdom and how Alexander died and not in a good state um, and then leaving the uh, empire were to be divided and took about 20 years to accomplish all of that. Now, we can um, take time, but I'm not going to take the time to, to mention all of those four uh, leaders uh, at this moment. Um, you may uh, want to look at that a little more in depth, but I want to emphasize that one of the leaders, uh, one of the generals was um, Seleucus. Um, and what's significant about him, because remember the, uh, the, the Persian Mede, uh, Medes were conquered somewhere about 332, 334 BC. And then, of course, in a period of time through Silicus, uh, that came, there came a king named Antichus the fourth, and some people say Antichus, uh, epith um, epith well, I know the word, Epiphanes, um, would it be the one that would have came out of that of Silicus? And we find that uh, this would put us in an era of time of 215 to 163 BC. Now, this would have also placed us into um, references of scripture or, or the Apocrypha books. Let me say it that, that way. Um, and it would be uh, Maccabees 1 or, or the first uh, book of Maccabees. And uh, if you do not have those resources, um, they're not uh, placed in our Bible uh, per se to be uh, canonized as um, authoritative scripture. But I will say I have thoroughly enjoyed reading the Maccabees over the years, do have a copy of some of those books. And I do see that there is some historical value because it does give us some uh, setting of what takes place with the Maccabees family and um, Judas uh, Maccabees and his brothers. Um, so it puts us in this time frame of them, um, being able to go in and, um, to restore the temple. Um, and then there's where we get the, the miraculousness of the oil that burnt, uh, in the menorah for, um, seven, eight days, uh, with the supply that they had because the, the, uh, anointing oil or the oil, had to be of that of a purification. Um, so we began to see what takes place through this um, lintage of uh, the King Seleucus uh, to that of King Antichus IV. And he was definitely anti-Semitic, uh, which gives us an understanding. He not only was anti-God, but he was also hostile to Jews. Now, I want to interject something here 
uh, before I go on with another thought that's important with what we're saying here in reference to uh, the characteristic of Antichus the, uh, the fourth um, with what we just said, that he was hostile to all Jews and anti-God. Now, if you'll look around with what's even taking place right now in our world, if you go and you even look at the Second World War, you look at through the history of Israel, this, uh, the anti-Semitic, when you really examine that, you will see most prominent the uh, emphasis of people that are anti-God or they do not or will not accept that it is God Jehovah. They want to make their own gods or they want to deny uh, any deity or there's other kinds of false gods, moon gods. And of course, we can go into the Greek culture. We can go into or even uh, even Islam uh, with worshiping something that's not the true God. So with that being said, let's, let's look at this thought also that when we come to that time frame of 215 to 163 BC, we find that Antichus IV is a prefigured of that of the coming of the Antichrist. And there's things that are similar uh, that are related that gives that indication. Now, there would have been some that probably, um, well, let me back, back up. There has been some that have misappropriated the word of God and have tried to put some things not in order to be that of scriptural, that there's yet to be that of the coming of the Lord and also his, um, and the end time and the time of the Jews. Um, and some people would try to say, okay, some of this is just history. And it doesn't apply. Uh, yes, it is a preview. It's, it's, it's almost like turning the movie on and seeing it before it happens. With the thought of the Antichrist, we realize that uh, Antichrist IV, Ephesians, would have been an imitation. But he would have been an incomplete imitation of the real horn. And of course, if you remember... Uh, when the three horns are uh, done away with, with the ten horns, when we get into Bible prophecy of that of the book of Revelation. But, uh, and we see that there's an, another horn that rises, and of course we understand that that is the Antichrist. But the world will not know the real horn until the tribulation period arrives. Now, somebody might say, well, who is the Antichrist? Is the Antichrist living right now? Well, in the moment that we live right now, I do believe that the Antichrist is already living. I believe that he's in a place that where he can move into whatever needs to be elevated as quickly as possible. Um, but um, there's questions about uh, um, because of Antichrist. Uh, he was a, a, a serene. Uh, some experts suggest that the Antichrist will be from uh, Syria. Um, but you know, we're, these are things that we can just consider. And every one of us, we may have, and I think we talked about that a little bit in one of our, in class, uh, who do you think the Antichrist might be? And you gave some answers. And I won't rehearse that. Um, but um, 
we do know, um, or let's not forget that the Antichrist will not be revealed to after the rapture. Uh, even though he may be living, he may be in a position of some kind of authority. He may be where he can be ushered uh, very quickly and things begin to, to develop. And his nationality will not be nearly as important as his evil deeds. Now, I just want to say this for, for you to consider and think how things can move so quickly and even not knowing someone and them coming to the forefront. In my lifetime, um, I was born um, during the Eisenhower administration. So we've had several presidents since then. Um, so with that being said, um, the first election that I was able to vote was in the time of Jimmy Carter. And um, I say that to say this, not that Jimmy Carter was not known, not that Jimmy Carter um, had some influence maybe in Georgia um, and uh, that of even being a businessman, a peanut farmer. But he, uh, if I remember correctly, if my if my history serves me right, and if I'm wrong, I'll, I'm willing to be correct. But I believe that he was governor of Georgia for a period of time. So there could be this 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 progression of him getting known. But technically, in some aspect, Jimmy Carter was almost like walked in, just like a new person, not really known. And there's been a few other presidents that I think that have been brought to the forefront that really we didn't know a lot about. And then, you know, we, we learn, we hear uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, um, the scandal, whatever. Uh, and so there again, I think that's the way it is right now. There's, there's people that we might not even think of or may not even know right now that easily will be able to step up that ladder how they need to to be um, moved into uh, very rapidly when it comes time for that. Um, so let's keep that in mind, uh, some of these things that we've mentioned. Okay, with our discussion about uh, Antichrist the Fourth and that of the Antichrist, let's remember that um, he... The Antichrist, he will start out small. He will grow in power. He will start out, remember, as a little horn. May not look of any significance, but he will uh, take control and charge of those ten horns or the ten regions of the world. Okay. Um, also, we can understand that... Um, our textbook is, and I want to just reference our textbook for a moment. Uh, another thing to notice is this matter of throwing some of the starry host down to the earth and trampling on them. Now, this would be um, in verse number 10, and Gabriel, um, excuse me, uh, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself there, but uh, there again in verse number 10, and it grew up to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. Um, so um, the emphasis that's being made here is that stars can symbolize angels. They can symbolize even the Jews. 
Now, here's what our text is saying. It says uh, the Jews, uh, angels and Jews. Since this chapter is dealing with Daniel's prophecy about the Jews, this probably means the Antichrist will cause the fall and destruction of many Jews. Now, we're, we're referencing back and seeing what some of the emphasis <clears throat> of the time of Antichrist IV, Ephenes, <clears throat> uh, did, and what effect of the fall and destruction of many Jews would have been. Um, those who think this is a reference to Antichrist can point to the history and show that he forced many Jews and doing so to blaspheme God and also to worship idols. Remember, he placed an idol in the very temple, desecrated uh, the holy place. He even killed approximately 100,000 Jews and sold another 40,000 into slavery. Now, what we need to reemphasize here is how there has been many antichrists, and we can see where the, the, the anti-Semitic has been there. We can even classify Hitler as an antichrist, and we know even from the Second World War, the uh, atrocity of, of that particular scenario and situation. Adolf Hitler was definitely anti-Semitic, um, and also... Uh, that of um, a murderer to the Jews. And we know there was at least 6 million possibly Jews executed during that uh, time frame. And most of those uh, gassed or shot. Um, so we can see the, in, the impact of these periods of time in history. And they are anti-God, anti-Semitic. Um, and, and you know, one of the things that is troubling is how that Adolf Hitler would have been, even though Germany was going through uh, political and social and financial um, uh, great distress, uh, Germany had been known for um, that of the Bible and scripture. And, um, and, and there's a whole lot we could discuss there that would be historical and we could even say Bible history in some aspect, but Adolf Hitler would have would have known Christianity, and that's a tragedy within itself. Um, so uh, makes you wonder sometimes the power of the enemy to bring deception to people, and we see that in in many different realms of just life itself or history. But let's look for just a moment because there will be some similarities that we see that did take place that are considered um, a small sample of the crimes of Antichus. Uh, these would have been um, atrocities, uh, really, uh, what uh, Antichus even does, they're in atrocities, and that means they're extreme acts they're cruel acts. They bring injustice and definitely violence. He would have plundered Jerusalem. We're talking of Antichrist, and so we can see how this is going to apply even to that of the Antichrist. Uh, he outlawed the Jewish religion and replaced it with Greek worship. 
Um, thirdly, he outlawed the observance of the Sabbath. He outlawed circumcision. You can see the direct uh, action of attack on the Jew there. I mean, their place that God is to reside, uh, his city, uh, the, the, the residence of the people. Uh, he uh, replaced uh, their heritage of religion. Also, the observance of the Sabbath. And we can see that's even against uh, the word of God and God's ordinance. Uh, he outlawed circumcision, which is uh, a covenant um, emphasis of, of uh, the covenant being attacked, in attack. And, uh, well, it was being attacked, but, but what I'm saying, um, the actual um, carrying out to come into um, that of agreement with the covenant of God through circumcision. Number five, he outlawed the reading of the scriptures. So the Bible, the Old Testament, the Sultanate, uh, 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 that uh, would have been written in, in the 300s BC, uh, the, the Old Testament scriptures written in the Greek. Uh, he would have forbidden those to be read. He burned whatever scriptures he could find. Seventh, he sacrificed a pig on the altar. Eighth, he set up an idol in the temple. He compelled idol worship. And tenth, he claimed he was God manifest in the flesh. Wow. And these are ten principles that we will see that will take place in that of this little horn that is advanced and brought forth swiftly and quick and to take over the world in that last Gentile empire during the time of Jacob's trouble or um, that of the tribulation. Now, as we think for just a moment, back in the seventh chapter of the book of Daniel, we are reminded of words like pompous words. Um, he will be like Satan, the morning star, arrogant, proud, and pretending to be God. So we understand that how in the last point of number 10, he claimed he was God manifested in the flesh. Um, the, the, the wonderful thing about all of this is no matter what takes place in the uh, tribulation and what has taken place, um, but God will remove the Antichrist power at the second coming of Christ. And the Gentile nations... The Gentile influence uh, empires will cease with that of God's kingdom that will be established. Now, let's also take in consideration that even during the time of Antichus, he stopped the daily sacrifices. And we will see that even there will be sacrifices that will begin the order in the rebuilding of the new temple. And at some point... The Antichrist will stop that. And uh, we also understand that um, as uh, Antichrist um, was uh, the act of setting up an idol of Zeus in the temple, and he forced the Jews to worship, uh, we see also in a familiar or some, uh, similar fashion the false prophet, which will be 
connection with that of the Antichrist will set up an image of the Antichrist during the tribulation period and they will actually compel, they'll make people come to worship. Um, so we see the one world religion. The Lord Jesus referred to that and told the Jews, now I've had a thought here that I want to share, to watch for it. Now this we can see in Matthew's Gospel chapter 24, you can make a note of this and you can read it, um, where Jesus is talking about that they're to flee to the mountain. And we would understand that to be Petra, uh, near Jordan, and uh, when they see it happen. So here's one of the things that come to my mind, that no matter where the Jew is, and we know the 144,000 is going to be sealed, but no matter where the Jew is in their relationship with God and what they know of their heritage, what's remarkable is how that even through Old Testament scripture, even through that of the possibility of hearing the book of Daniel, rehearsing history in those moments, how that it will even enlighten them, that they will even see or the scriptures of Matthew 24 verses 15 and 16 may be shared and it will it will give them insight of them going to flee to Petra which will be a place of safety um, uh, there will be a great persecution and multitudes being killed so and and of course Petra will be a place for many of them to flee As we've been talking about the Antichrist, we may bring up a few more things uh, as we look at this chapter. But let's look at verse 15 of the 8th chapter. Then it happened when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and was seeking the meaning that suddenly there stood before me, one having an appearance of a man. Um, while Daniel was watching the vision, someone suddenly appeared in front of him. And uh, we... Uh, understand that he looked like a man but actually it was the angel gabriel so as we stated earlier verses 15 through 27 and we're not going to rehearse all of this because it really gives us the understanding of some of the things we've already talked about but before we come to a place of closure and do some reviewing it would be worth your um, effort to make sure that you are reading these verses again or these uh, pages um giving the understanding that Gabriel gives, uh, especially starting on um, page, um, maybe even with page 221, and there through, it gives an explanation of the um, vision that Daniel saw of the ram and the goat. So keep that in mind. With some of the symbolic uh, understanding of the possibilities of Antichus, uh, giving us a view of the Antichrist. Let's look at a thought that's given to us in our textbook. And one of the things that I want to emphasize immediately is that we understand uh, this may look as a difficult passage, but we also need to remember that um, some of this was closed. Some of the book was to be closed. 
and uh, some of this would be revealed. Maybe even the fact that we understand it from the historical is some of the revelation, but yet the fact that there is prophecy yet to be fulfilled with that of the Antichrist. Now, verse 14 of the 8th chapter of Daniel says this, And he said to me, For 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be clean, cleansed. Now, um, there's emphasis of the restoration of the temple through that of even the Maccabees. And if you read those first uh, four chapters of the book of Maccabees, it would be interesting. And maybe that would be uh, beneficial in the fact of um, what takes place with Antichus and and uh, where he um, um, actually desecrates and then actually in time. But let's look at this from the perspective of the time that's being mentioned here. Now, um, our writer of our text says it could be difficult passage. Uh, we know that 2,300 days, which would be evening and morning, uh, and we look at that from a Jewish perspective of morning and or evening and morning, uh, the, how the days are consistent. Okay, or consist of the days, 2,300 days is almost six years and five months. Um, let's look at this thought too, but we know from other scripture that Jer that Jerusalem was trodden down for three and a half years or 42 months or 1260 days. So some might say, what is the answer? Now, our textbook gives us a thought, and I'm going to expound a little bit in just a moment uh, with a thought. Perhaps there is a clue in the action of Antichus Epiphanes. Uh, it can be shown that exactly 2,300 days passed between the time he first began his persecution of the Jews and the time it ended. It can also be shown that he captured Jerusalem and started the persecution almost three years, possibly uh, 1,040 days before he stopped the Jewish sacrifice. Um, if this is correct, it means the Antichrist will start persecuting the Jews about seven months after the tribulation period begins. And there's where we get the understanding of six years and five months plus the seven months equals seven years. But the most severe persecution and defilement of the temple will not begin until the tribulation period midpoints or midpoint. So when we go to the book of Revelation and we find um, we find some scripture that we can take in consideration that may uh, help us, um, we, we find the 42 months, which would give us um, three and a half years. Okay, in verse number two of the 11th chapter of the book of Revelation, it says, but the court which is without the temple, <clears throat> leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread under foot forty and two months. Now, um, let's go on and read just a little bit. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. So part of this is going to be during the period of the time that the uh, witnesses are uh, evangelizing, preaching, propagating the gospel of Jesus. Okay, 
when we go over to chapter 13 of Revelation, chapter 13 and verse 5, it says, And there was given unto him, now this is speaking of the Antichrist, uh, a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. Now, here's with the fact that some of this may be closed to us, and yet <clears throat> things will be revealed as the tribulation takes its place. Okay, um, what we want to understand is that um, within uh, seven months of Antichus taking over, he pretty much, those seven years, was very um, brutal um, and uh, the persecution, and we've discussed some of uh, the crime that he uh, committed that will be similar uh, to that of the Antichrist. Now, it's definitely got to be understood that the latter of the tribulation, um, one can expect the Antichrist to start persecuting the Jews, um, you know, within that 2300 uh, days before the tribulation period ends. So keep that in mind, even with that of Antichrist and that of we see the picture of the Antichrist. It it continues to build. It continues to intensify uh, in that of the uh, persecution and uh, the uh, wrath, uh, the destruction, and we could say it the um, the uh, atrocities, um, the cruelty, the injustice, the violence. Uh, exalting himself, and then by the uh, fifth, or by the uh, by the fifth verse and sixth verse, we see the control of the Antichrist is so so intense that we know that this has been the progression, even breaking the covenant that he will do with the children of Israel or the Jew. We see where verse six says, and he opened his mouth to blaspheme. Uh, in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. So we can see the intensity of what's taking place with the Antichrist. And we can see that uh, definitely even after seven months of Antichrist that it began to continue to, to increase the, the uh, intensity of that. So maybe that gives some clarity there. Um, there again... Um, as I said, I'm not going to rehearse some of this because we see Gabriel from verse 15 through 27 of Daniel 8 giving us an understanding. We've, and we've revealed some of those things as far as going through this, how that the angel uh, does definitely tell us who the, uh, the ram and the goat and the significance there. Now, um, let's, let's just reemphasize for a moment um, about the word Antichrist. I want to bring that up a little bit. Technically, the word Antichrist appears only four times in the Bible. I thought this was kind of interesting. And we find that the Apostle John is the one that uses this terminology. And he does it in his epistles. And he does it in the, um, the first and the second epistle. Now, in the first epistle, we see scriptures in uh, verses uh, 18 of the second chapter, verse 22. 
for just for, for just the fact of reference, let, let's turn there and let's, let's look at what the apostle the apostle John uh, gives us to think on and to consider um, with the fact that he only uses the actual term antichrist uh, four times in scripture. Let's look at chapter two of First John and verse number eighteen. It says, "Little children, it is the last time. It is the last time, and as ye have heard, the Antichrist shall come. Even now, are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time." Now, John is even saying this around hundred, well, before hundred B.C. Excuse me, hundred A.D. Uh, before he is, um, before he dies. So we can see that he already began to see uh, the intensity of the spirit of Antichrist in his day. And of course, we can understand as, as uh, the church was uh, growing and multiplying and uh, uh, an effective organism in the world to propagate the gospel, yet um, the work of the enemy even uh, in his time. And, and one of the things is the attack on, on the Word of God. And then I, I know I'm going into something here that maybe I shouldn't take the time, but I'm going to mention it. Uh, if John, and he did, he passed somewhere around 100 uh, A.D. And we see by 325 A.D., we see, uh, the, um, we see the gathering of that of the Nisan where there would have been the Nisan Creed, there would have been uh, where this uh, gathering of believers come and they establish the doctrine of Christology, uh, uh, speaking to say that Christ is who he is, that he is the Son of God. And of course, throughout Scripture, we understand that John expounds on that. If any of the apostles or disciples did, he did. He expanded on Jesus being the son of God or Yeshua being the son of God. So there had been even an attack on uh, who Jesus was in Jesus's time living and then even thereafter. So <laughs> keep this in mind as we even look at verse number 22 of the second chapter of first John, who is a liar, but he that um, denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. So we see some um, important um, language there, instruction, information that the Apostle John is giving us. And actually, he um, says that a person that will deny that Jesus is the Christ, that he is, first of all, a liar, and second of all, that he is an Antichrist. And he goes further to say, not only is he denying the deity of Christ, but he's also denying the Father and the Son. So that's important. We, we understand those principles because these are going to be some of the underlying, um, I guess you could say, foundation of that of the uh, teaching and structure of the Antichrist, this ruler. Uh, and we see in Revelation, as we read just a few moments ago, how that he's going to blaspheme. He's going to blaspheme those even in heaven. He's going to blaspheme 
the tabernacle of God, which I believe includes all those that are saints and believers, um, and maybe even in the sense of that of what should be the proper order of the the, the temple. Uh, but yet we, we see how that he will blaspheme God. Um, so with that being said, let's look at uh, chapter 4 of First John. And let's look at verse number three, chapter, what did I say? Chapter four and verse number three, where the apostle John again deals with this concept of the Antichrist uh, the third time uh, out of four, I believe it is, uh, if I'm correct with what I'm looking at here. Yes. Okay. In verse number three of the fourth chapter, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God, and and this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. John the apostle is telling it's already in the world, even in 100 AD-ish. Um, so, we, we see, again, he emphasizes that it's a spirit. We see that this is a demonic spirit. And we see that that's the operation of this man or this, this, this horn, that he will be driven by a spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God, and this is that spirit of Antichrist. Um, so keep that in mind. The last, the last verse of Scripture that we want to look at that emphasizes uh, the wordage of Antichrist is Second um, John chapter one and verse number seven. So as I stated earlier, there's only four places that the actual word Antichrist is used in scripture it says in verse number seven of of uh, john uh, two for many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that jesus christ is come in the flesh this is a deceiver and an antichrist so their goal is to deceive they have the spirit of antichrist uh, in them operating through them and their desire and their plans through that of the working of this spirit is to be a deceiver to be a deceiver they will acknowledge they will not acknowledge should should say uh, that christ has even come in the flesh so keep these things in mind now i said all that i think it would be interesting also that scripture mentions and we don't have the time uh, but he meant, scripture mentions him more than a hundred times that of uh, the Antichrist in some aspect, even though the word Antichrist is not used. Now, um, I thought this was interesting, and I've underlined it in my textbook, that the book of Revelation calls him the beast more than 30 times. And here is a chart, and we won't take the time to, to read these verses, but I encourage you to read them if you have not in your study and make kind of a, um, a study out of this with these terms that are given. So here are some titles of the Antichrist maybe that you have heard used before or as you read these scriptures or as you read scriptures or even as you 
maybe at some time are hearing news things and we as we progress and in, to the coming of the lord um i know the antichrist will not step in and be revealed and begin to move and operate definitely until the church is out of here but i believe that he's either already in place or being placed but these are things that you can see through characters uh, or characteristics of, of maybe people that are questionable or are even operating in the spirit of Antichrist, whether we're not whether we're talking about the person or that horn, that 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 uh, one that's going to be the Antichrist. He'll be a vile person. Uh, he he's going to be like a shepherd, and we know that Jesus that Jesus himself even talks about uh, hirelings. He talks about those that are not true shepherds. We understand the exhortation that uh, the prophet Ezekiel gives us in Ezekiel, I believe it is chapter thirty three. Uh, excuse me, chapter 23, I believe it is about the worthless shepherd or the shepherd that doesn't care for the sheep. All right. He's a man of sin. He's a son of perdition. And think about even in the midst of Jesus's um, disciples, there was one that was the son of perdition. Um, and of course, we know Judas. All right. The lawless one, uh, a beast out of the bottomless pit. We're told that he's going to come out of the bottomless pit. He's going back. He's going to be cast into the lake of fire. Uh, the beast that will go to perdition. And that gives us an understanding that he, with Satan, will be cast into the lake of fire. <laughs> so these are some things to, to think about. Um, I want to read this scripture in 24th verse of Daniel 8. His power shall be mighty but not by his own power. There's where we get the understanding that it will be satanic. He will be actually controlled by Satan. Um, he shall be, and he shall destroy fearful. There are those that believe that this could be high tech. Um, we, we could be getting into that of nuclear. We could be getting into biological, chemical weapons. There's a lot we could be saying right here. And I just want to make this emphasis. Even, even in the last four years, there's been talk uh, about even uh, the last administration, that of Space Force. Folks, we're at a place where troops do not have to be dropped and invade uh, I'm not even sure, and I'm not trying to make a, a theory here, but I, I'm wondering if even COVID has been a test of, and we already know that there's been biological and chemical type warfare before, even with some of our military that's come home and had to deal with that of um, Agent Orange and, and different things. So is it possible that even, I'll say it this way, that and believing that, and we understand that, that COVID was created in a, in a lab. Okay, if that be the case, was this a forerunner? Was this a test of chemical warfare and what it could, what effect that it could have on the world? And we know that it did affect the world. It affected the economy. It affected social. It, it affected people's lives. It affected the fact that people died from it. So this could be a runner of other things that really may be even more devastating than that. And so it's just something I'm, I'm throwing out there. So keep these things in mind as you begin to 
see more and more of how that uh, this rise of uh, rise and fall he's going to fall definitely uh, of this world leader um so uh let's uh let's move on and we're going to uh wrap up here um we're going to wrap up but before we do i want to mention this folks i know that studying these kind of things and hearing these kind of things and we're trying to relate these things and even some of what uh, the world went through during the COVID is very stressful. And I want to emphasize what the writer uh, or what Daniel says himself in verse number 27. It was sickening. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days afterward. I rose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. So it had an effect on Daniel. It had an effect. But listen, we've got to look up. The Bible says we've got to look up. We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. We've got to realize that he is in control. Um, I think this is interesting that A.H. Ironside said, before we wrap up, the centuries since have borne witness to the truth of much of it. The days to come will manifest the balance Let's remember these things have been prophesied, but yet we have a prophecy that is sure uh, of that, that we have a blessed hope. So keep that in mind. Um, as we wrap up, uh, I want to just emphasize these things and then our study questions that are on page 230 of this chapter. Now, in the wrap up, we see the bullet point. It says, Daniel had a vision in the third year of Belshazzar. First, he saw a two-horned ram and one horn longer than the other. The ram, Medo-Persian, was powerful and great. It became great. Its two horns represented the king of Medo and Persia. The short horn represented Darius, and the long horn represented Cyrus. Their kingdom defeated Babylon and became the next great Gentile kingdom, and we can find references to that in what we've studied, Daniel chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, and also verse 21. Bullet point 2 on page 229. Next, Daniel saw a male goat, which represents Greece, with one large horn moving swiftly across the whole earth. The goat attacked the ram with great rage and defeated it. At the peak of the goat's power, the large horn broke off and four weaker horns grew up in its place. Now, there's where we see the significance of uh, Alexander the Great being a conqueror, but yet the horn being broke off shows uh, how that um, it became weak because it represents his death or him uh, not in the picture. And then the four um the four uh, horns that uh, come thereafter, the male goat represents Greece, and its large horn represents Alexander the Great. The goat defeated the two-horned ram of P uh, uh, Medo Persia, but died shortly after. The four weaker horns represent uh, Alexander the Great's four generals who took his place. And the scriptures are out of the eighth chapter, verses five through eight, verses twenty-one through twenty-three. The next bullet point, then Daniel saw another horn. It was very small at first, 
but it grew into the heavens, opposed uh, 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 Jesus, stopped the Jewish sacrifices, desecrated the temple, and made war on God's people. It was successful in everything it did. The horn represents the Antichrist. So we, we see the picture being developed there in the Old Testament with the book of Daniel. He will begin as a little horn, but will grow until he rules the world. He will be deceitful, corrupt, cause great destruction on the earth, kill most of God's people, and be anti-God and anti-Christ. And we can find those scriptures, the ninth through the 13th verse of this chapter 8, and verses 23 through 25. The next bullet point, the Antichrist will be very powerful, but God is greater. That's what we must remember, our promise that God is greater. God is still in control in the midst of chaos. This future world leader will be destroyed. And we have that promise in Daniel chapter 8 and verse number 25. And I'm going to read it in Daniel chapter 8, verse number 25. And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. And he shall magnify himself in his heart but by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. We see the strategic, we see the power, we see the craftiness of this one, the Antichrist being revealed here, but we see the promise that when he comes against the Lord Jesus Christ himself against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. So we see of our hope there being referenced in Daniel chapter 8, verse 25. The last bullet point before we look at our questions, <coughs> excuse me, is these things were almost too much for Daniel to handle. And we spoke of that about verse number 27 that it did have an effect on Daniel. He uh, was he fainted, he was sick for days, and then eventually he returned to the business of the king. We gotta get back up, folks. We gotta get on the business of the king. Amen. Our king. Praise the Lord. And so it was almost too much for him to handle. In his vision, the angel Gabriel appeared to him and terrified him to the point that he fell on his face and went into a deep sleep. Afterward, he was exhausted and sick for several days and found the whole event appalling and beyond his understanding. And folks, that may be true. There's going to be times that things may trouble our heart and we may not understand everything. But remember when the day comes to an end and when it's all settled, that the hand of the enemy is going to be broken. The hands of the enemy are going to be handcuffed. The actual uh, identity of the deceiver, the enemy, is going to be cast into the lake of fire for eternity and forever and forever. Okay, our study questions. The five questions are on page 230. Remember to type the question, type the answer. Remember to put your name your uh, student ID number on the paper, the date, and the particular chapter and the course study. Okay, 
Number uh, one, what would a loving, why, excuse me, why would a loving God permit an evil man like the Antichrist to rise to power and do these terrible things? Now, I look forward to hearing some of your answers, and our answers may be some different, uh, but think through that. Think about scriptures that you've read. Think about the study itself. Number two, who or what should people rely on to interpret Bible prophecy? Who or what should people rely on to interpret Bible prophecy? Number three, what is the relationship between Bible prophecy and history? Number four, when the world gets a one world government, will it have freedom of religion, peace, and safety? Think about that. And look at it from those three perspectives. Freedom, um, freedom of religion, peace, and safety. Then number five, <coughs> excuse me, where will the Antichrist get his power? How much will he have and what will be his final end? God bless you. I hope this has been encouraging. I hope that this has been helpful in your course of study. And we will be coming back with chapter nine very soon.